Shut Up and Invest. All right, we are officially live on Shut Up and Invest. Here's another episode. Today we're bringing you the latest and greatest, the heavy hitters. We got my man Brian in the house out from Phoenix, Arizona, but he is not investing completely in Phoenix, Arizona. He's investing in all over the United States. And me and Jay Money are going to break down his story, feature all his tips and tricks, and really get an understanding of this lifestyle by design. What's up, Jay? Hey, man, I'm doing good, Kevin. Out here, you know, we're out here in Miami. Ryan's out there in Phoenix. We had to remind him the times of the day. He thought one o'clock was like, you know, Phoenix time. So <laughs> he might have he missed this. <laughs> but I'm doing good. Phoenix time. We're having our drinks already over here. Yeah. You know? How are you doing, man? What's that? Kevin's a new dad out here. We got we to take a moment to congratulate Kevin. Oh, he had, he had a film last week. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, we had to we had to pause the uh, show last week because uh, we got a new member of the squad. <laughs> <laughs> How you feeling? You get some sleep yet or no? Man, honestly, I've been blessed. Thank God, he is sleeping like a champ. So we are not sleep deprived whatsoever. That is a blessing. Yeah, that is a blessing. Good. He looks well rested for a new dad. I mean, yeah, he <laughs> I'm like, either, either, either he's not very good when he's made mom do all the work or he got I'm like, what is it too? Like, what's going on? I'm hands on, bro. I'm hands on, except when it comes to diaper duty. That's the only yeah. place that I'm still taking a back seat on. Typical get dirty. Father, right? <laughs> get it's it's going to come soon. But as of right now, I'm like, let me let me make sure you master it before you teach me first. You have to. That's act of love, man. Making sure she's self-sufficient. That's an actual <laughs> love. I, 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 I sign off on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, what's up, my man? How you been? Man, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm good. I'm fortunate. Man, this is really cool, man. I'll tell you, too, about being here today. Um, I don't know what to expect at all, right? Yeah. Like, I, it's just straight up, we'll wing it. Why? And I think that's really cool because when you do that, I mean, there's nothing that's, um, you know, I'm not steering the conversation in any way. Um, it's just, does a person know what they're talking about? Do they not? You know, you get on here and you're just talking and shoot from the hip, man. So I'm kind of excited about that, man. And to, to talk to you guys voice to voice, man, this is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's something that we always do. We, we don't know anything about people. Like, we haven't we haven't met before, Brian. We've talked, you know, we got a few friends in common, but, like, we haven't actually had a talk before. So, you know, me and Kevin will be learning as we talk to you today. You know, you'll probably teach us some stuff and our list or some stuff. And it just kind of flows more gaming that way. So yeah, what, what yeah. do we do with that? Man? Cool, cool. I like it. I like it. Let's like uh, jump right in. By the way, thanks to our listeners for the congratulations on the baby boy. I appreciate it. Brian, why don't you tell us how you even stumbled into real estate and what were you doing before? God, man. Um, so I'll give you the, the really short 30 second version before, uh, you know, of because it's my second dip into real estate. So <laughs> my first dip was back in 2006, 2007, when you didn't have to know what you were doing. And, uh, you know, just start and you look like a genius to everybody. Right. So I had the bright idea back then of buying a rental. I had a, a pretty well, you know, a pretty, pretty well paying job. Bought some rentals that were negative cash flowing. Right. I knew it from the gate. Bottom it up like uh, market market price. But the, the appreciation was so insane in Phoenix at the time. I had the same plan as everybody else that I thought was a plan. I'll just hang on to this thing for a year and then sell it. Right. That was the plan. Um, then the Great Recession hits. I thought I was well positioned. I had like nine months a year of living expenses saved up. So I thought, okay, anything that happens, I'll be fine. Lost my job. Tenants lost their jobs. Um, 
lost the houses. That was my mm-hmm. first deal, right? And I thought, okay, I did that all wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward the second time, another job loss led to real estate again. And, <laughs> you know, this time, like, it sounds like I'm terrible, you know, employee when I say that again, but um, this time, so both my partner and I lost our jobs uh, a day apart. So she knew hers was ending, um, kind of like a buyout. Mine, I got an invitation to go down for a meeting in Tucson and they fired everybody, right? Which is about two times, about two hours south of Phoenix. Um, well, if you drive the speed limit, it's about an hour and 30 minutes when I went down there. Um, but I went down there and there was basically a situation, it was just math, where they had found the guy. I was expanding. So what I had done before, I was, uh, you know, I'd been in sales for, God, probably prob- going on 20 years, right? Different types of sales. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been hired to help build a new territory. Uh, for a company based out of Tucson to build Phoenix. And it was an industry I didn't have any experience in. And what they found is, I mean, and it was a really, I mean, it's one of those where you'd go into a company, look at all their machinery, all their processes, completely tear it apart, rebuild, order these machines that are the size of a house, get in it, look at their packaging. You'd basically break down everything in their business. Well, we were a little bit too slow getting that done. So the three guys that were hired to do that for them in different territories, they let us all go and they brought in an old veteran who brought a book of business his know-how, and they could pay him double what he was making, but it was still less than they were paying us. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just made a business decision. So at that point, I just decided, well, you know, I, you know, I'm, you know, I don't want to be in that number where you get to get to, you become the older guy who's starting new again and again and again. Um, and I just didn't want somebody to have that kind of control because I'd been this is the third time I've been through that and being in sales. You know, if things get rocky, the guys that cost the most go first a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I knew this and I started thinking about it. Okay, this is time number three. What, do I want to do that again? And so I just kind of sat down for a second, thought about it, took a couple of months, had some money, um, took a couple of months to think about it. And then once the decision was made, it was real estate. Um, three days later, I had first deal and it was just wow. go from there. Yes. So when you jumped in that first deal, were you jumping in to to wholesale, to buy another rental, to, to fix and flip? Well, I mean, what was your idea, your, your, your game plan? No, man, it was a flip because that's all I knew. I'd never even heard of wholesaling. You know, it wasn't even until after probably two years after buying that house that I realized it probably came from a wholesaler. Mm-hmm. I had no concept of what wholesaling was. Um, I knew a guy who knew a guy back when everything was going well for everybody who was a flipper. I called him. He called a realtor friend of his. Three days, we, we sat down and had lunch the very next day. We looked at the house the day after that. We bought it the day after that. It moved that quickly. And so the idea was it was a super clean house. I had no concept of what a really bad house looked like. So we probably over-improved it. Um, no experience. And uh, <laughs> it was a flip. Yeah, it was a flip. Jumped right in it. But our very first one was, I don't know if this is expensive for Miami, but the first house, we bought it for $405,000. Hmm. Um, it was super clean. Um, learned a whole lot about people in that thing. And then we ended up not making any money. On it. In fact, we didn't some money. Right? Uh, so yeah. that was the first thing. We just jump right in there. And that was the only time we've ever lost money. But it was, it was, uh, it was an education, man. I always say, like, you're going to pay for either education or you're going to pay for inexperience. But you're going to pay. You're like, if you need to learn, you always pay, right? Yeah, hey, experience, yeah. experience is the best teacher too, you know? <laughs> Brian, I'll tell you what. I kind of want to, before we move on, stay on that point a little bit because I think a lot of our listeners, based off of the messages and the conversations we've had with them, 
that's what they're mostly scared of. They're mostly scared of getting in that deal and losing money. You actually experienced it. How come it didn't derail you? How come it didn't stop you? I mean, was it a financial hit that really put your lifestyle in a whole different bracket? Like, talk to us a little bit about that moment, because really, that's what everyone is worried about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll start. I preface it the first thing. I'm a little bit delusional, and I think everything I do is going to work. Right. That's the first thing. I might be a little, you know. Um, <laughs> but but like even when there's no chance of working, I'm like, yeah. We're, that's um, <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah. Enough wins that they don't remember those. Uh, but I'll tell you, man. The honest reason why I continued, man, is I I just did the math. Right, we ended up losing. So what we did with it, we couldn't sell it for what we thought we did. It was a higher end gated community, and the weird stuff that happens when you start flipping houses, they start building a subdivision right across the street in this kind of a uh, really uh, like it, it kind of set off and away from off the beaten path higher end subdivision. Mm-hmm. The houses that we were using as comps sold for about five ten, but it was hilly. It was at the base of a mountain, and we didn't realize the ones that were selling for the five hundred so were up on the hill with a better view of the city. So even though it was just three four houses down, it had a view of the city. Oversight mm-hmm. didn't know no experience. Um, then the construction started making a noise. We had to plant trees to try to, you know, cut high noise, all that kind of stuff. Just a bunch of things happened that we could control. And when it was all said and done, selling it, we're looking at losing. I think like 25K or something like that, if, if we just needed to get out of it. Um, we ended up holding it and renting it at a loss. Um, just made, you know, we couldn't come to agreement on selling it. The reason I did another one is because I did the math on what it would take me going back to work, finding a job to pay back that money. Mm. And the instant thought was, okay, this could eat up a quarter of your salary. You know, mm. for some people that's half a year, it's more than half a year. So I did. And Matt can afford to not do another one. So my instant thought was, I got to do another one to make this money back. It's kind of like the guy that loses in Vegas, right? I said, okay, well, I, this money's gone. I'm, I'm accepting it. It's it's gone. I got to do another deal where I can make a big chunk of money to at least get a hold on that. And that was that was the reason why I, I didn't even give it a second thought about well, we got to do another one. Now, yeah. at this point, are you uh, using your own money? Do you have private lending? What's the relationships on this deal looking like? Well, so that one, it was hard money. And I think, I think the payment was, it's like three grand a month. Right. Mm. And we kept it for, I think a full year. Yeah. After we got done with it, we kept it an additional year. So a lot of the losses where we were just making sure we're paying, paying this hard money lender was our first Uh hard money lender. Yeah. And it just, I mean, you could do the math on that, that, you know, a year of that was just, it just wasn't a sound business decision. Um, right. We found a renter, and the renter was paying two, two grand of twenty-two. But we were losing seven, eight hundred dollars a month on this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at this point, so, that's in your local market, right? You weren't doing it virtually yet, right? No, no, yeah, that was here in uh, Scottsdale, uh, which is kind of a higher end part of this part of the, the metro. I was going to say the city; it's its own city, but yes, yeah, so that was here local. And and I'll tell you, man, the only reason I figured out so the realtor who found, you know, who brought the deal to us. We called him and we said, hey, we need another house. Hey, we need another house. Hey, we, and he can never bring us to another house. And I didn't understand that. I said, I'm telling the guy, okay, the last time I just bought one with you, I sat down to lunch and bought a house. Like, I'm easy. Bring me another one. And it wasn't until later I realized we probably couldn't. He probably just attached the fee on top of a wholesaler's deal and then mm-hmm. brought it to us. So he couldn't find another one. But at that time, 
I didn't know how any of this worked. I'll tell you how we started, man, was just listening to podcasts. There was no mentorship, no education. Um, we're listening to Bigger Pockets. And, you know, we're getting ready to go. We only discovered Bigger Pockets after a few other ways of trying to find deals didn't work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was all our own money put in this thing at first that coupled with the, you know, the, the hard money guy. We didn't, we didn't know anything about putting a secondary, you know, somebody in second position or anything like that. So it was just our cash. And then you we did a lot of work with us. What's that? You guys just jumped into fix and flips, right? So, I mean, you know, that's, that's pretty hard for your first deal to do a fix and flip like that, especially a high-end yeah. fix and flip. Did you have a crew already? Did you, or you just said, hey, let's go. No, we didn't have anything, bro. Like, we yeah. literally three days, man. <laughs> <laughs> I no like crew. it. No, yeah, he was watching uh, Armando Montalegro. He was watching fix uh, flip that house on the A and E all the time, and just said, "Let me jump in the water." Yeah, let me jump. <laughs> Look, they're doing it on TV. How hard could it be, right? Uh, so yeah, a common, a common trait that I'm seeing with e- every one of our high level guests yeah. and people that are movers and shakers is action taken, even when you have uncertainty staring at you in your face. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's true, man. I've talked to enough guys, so I think that's the same thing. And, I, you know, I think when you just feel like you can figure things out, mm-hmm. you know, there's that part where I say, it's, well, there might be some delusion, of, you know, touch of, you know, being deluded there. Because um, it felt like, well, I'm smart. I'll figure it out. That helps me and it hurts me, you know. Yeah. But, but, you know, because sometimes you don't ask for help when you should, you know, because I actually enjoy the figuring out process, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I enjoy the process. And then the other part of that is, um, you know, I don't like feeling like I owe people anything. Right. And that's the thing that the personal thing I had to work on where nobody can come back later and say, well, you wouldn't have done this if it wasn't for me. Right. I had to work through that because that was something that, you know, initially I, I'd come from, I'd had a pretty, pretty, um, uh, pretty good career in sales. So in my head, it's like, this is just will be a continuation. You'll do, you can figure things out. One has nothing to do with the other. Right. Yeah, but definitely. it's, it's, it's the, the mistake that a lot of us make. I think, and jumping in that right away, it was just, how hard could it be? And then you discover, I knew there was going to be some things with people because, I mean, when you deal with people, people people are unpredictable and they just, people won't stop people in. That's what they do. Right? <laughs> oh, man, uh, we lost Kevin. <laughs> yeah, but that was it, man. It just jumped right in because I didn't know what else to do, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. I didn't want another gig. Um, and I didn't want to be subjected to what is what happens with the company? What do they tell me is, is my fate is after this? So yeah. he's back. He's back. Look at that baby's already getting them, man. <laughs> yeah. So you said delusional real quick. You know, I think a lot of it's just confidence, right? Like you got a lot of confidence in yourself. You know, like yeah. when you're a confident person, you feel like, hey, if they can do it, I can do it. And you just jump out on that confidence. And even if you fail, you have confidence that you can that you can learn from those mistakes and do it again. Right. And I Absolutely. think that's the main. That's the main point that people miss is just have confidence in yourself and go out there and do it. Absolutely. Because I felt like this, like I'm not, it's not going to kill me. Right. I can exactly. do it again. Right. I can do it again. So if, if it doesn't work, you, you better believe I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to learn from it, but I can do it again. Mm-hmm. It, it, you, you know, and, and that's the thing, because what I didn't say is, you know, when everything happened in 08, man, I got melted down to the studs. Like I have a screenshot of where I had 17 cents in my account. Right. I still have that on my phone. Right. Wow. That was what I had to where a Starbucks coffee was a splurge, like you know, <laughs> the cup to come back because a refill is 54 cents. Right. Mm. Um, so I, I think the other part of that, to your point, Jory, is too, is it's a confidence because I, I, I'd hit rock bottom ground zero before after being up 
and then coming down and going, man, I don't even have electricity. Mm-hmm. So I think that when I thought about, okay, you're losing some money on a house, I'm like, yes. wait, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we may have done that still alive. Yeah. Me, me yeah. and Kevin yeah. talked about that, man. When you hit rock bottom and come up a few times, it's like, I mean, hey, I'm not gonna die, right? So yeah. I lose some money. I know how to make yeah. money again, right? You, you yeah, take you those risks because you, you remember that the, the old uh, what was that the hangover? The hangover, yeah. And it's like <laughs> the day you died. I'm like, it still works. So yeah. let's run it again, man. And you know, you talk about it, you look at other people and you go, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And I, I put eyes on some other guys. I think we all do it. And I had that thought too. Well, okay, if they're doing this, I, I can do it. There's some stuff I got to figure out, but, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to be perfect on the first one. I don't, I expect to be bad at everything before I'm good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brian, what's your business look like today for those of them listening to your first very deal? Now let's fast forward. And what does it look like today? So they get a perspective of the growth. Okay. So right now, so number, we just added two new people part-time. One of them is now going full-time. So there are 11 of us full-time. Um, and then we're going to be hiring a couple of uh, probably two to four new acquisition guys in the next month, month and a half. Um, so where it's looked right now, it's myself, my partner, um, three acquisitions, a Dispo, who's in training now, um, a v- my lead manager is a VA, um, and then three legion legion agents, and then an executive assistant. Nice. Yeah. So that's what we look like. So we don't have a physical office or brick and mortar. Everybody's virtual. Even the, in fact, Friday I'm going to meet one of my acquisition guys. So he's been working here for a couple of months now. I've not met him. Uh, he lives here locally, but we haven't met. And uh, we're we're going to be meeting out at a house on Friday for the first time. But we're all we're 100 percent virtual. Gotcha. And uh, I know you're virtual. I do, I'm all virtual too, right? And the business are different. So when you say you're all virtual, your your AMs, your acquisition guys, are they in the actual markets where you guys are doing stuff at? Or are they are they tying those up over the phone? What's your process as far as you guys when it comes to that? Yeah, it's all over the phone, man. And I'll tell you how we got in that. Do you, you like if if you want to know know that story because it was kind of yeah. accident, you know? I, before before virtual had a name. So I'd gotten a call from a lady. Um, an older lady up in Lake Havasu, Arizona, which is like in the California border. It's about three and a half, four hours drive from where I'm at. Mm-hmm. So lady calls and she's telling me, okay, I think I'm ready to do something now. You guys came here before. And she's telling me about how it sat down. And I'm going to lady, I haven't been to Lake Havasu in 10 years. Wasn't me, right? <laughs> so I'm trying to convince her stu- stu- stupidly, right? And that wasn't me. And then she goes, well, you guys buy the, you know, the ugly houses, right? And I was like, lady. And then, and then it clicked. I said, we do buy houses that are ugly, right? <laughs> okay, this lady thinks I'm somebody else. Shut up and let's talk about it. So we're going through, we're talking. I'm looking at the numbers and I'm going, there's, there's some money in this. I don't have any contacts in Lake Havasu. I've never seen the house. I don't meet this lady. But when I start running the numbers, um, and this is before there was some of the tools everybody uses now, but we're running some of the numbers. Partners are agents, so she's, we're, we're, we're running comps. And I realize there's money in this, right? So then I've got to figure out how do I get it? Like it's four hours away. I don't know what it looks like. And that was the genesis of everything, how, how the wholesaling part started. But the first two, two and a half years, we were 100% flipping. We only started doing marketing and that call only came in because I got tired of paying wholesalers. Right? Wow. Okay. Now. So, yeah. So it was you, like, well, oh, go ahead. No, my, my bad. Were you, were you virtual flipping or you, were, you weren't virtual yet? No, no, that was the springboard for everything. 
Gotcha. Um, okay. We were only flipping in Phoenix. And so we, I think at that point, we're doing like four or five flips at a time um, and still weren't really hip to uh, wholesaling. Went to a mastermind and got introduced to the idea. And I was like, oh, this is what people are doing. And then that's when they clicked to it. That, that probably happened with that agent. This call. So now, now I'm doing marketing, running our PPC, running SEO and all that kind of stuff. And I'm learning this stuff to run it myself so that I can have intelligent conversations with an agency should I ever have to hire one. Well, this lead comes in. And so all I'm trying to do and you know, is stop paying the fees because the, the house that we bought right before that, we paid a $31,000 assignment. We ended up making $30,000 on it. We thought we'd yeah. make 50. The things that go wrong and flips go wrong. Um, <laughs> Every time. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and, and this house, when he looked at the chain of, you know, the possession, like it had been sold four times within like a month and a half. So it wasn't quite a daisy chain, but somebody else realized somebody left meat on the bone and then they, mm-hmm. somebody else. Put it. And, so, and when we bought it, it still made sense. Um, but it was a hoarder house. Um, but we made 30K at the end after four months of work. The guy that sold us the contract made 30K. So my thinking was, well, if I'm going to spend 30K to get one, what if I learn how to do this and I spend 30K? How many deals can I get out of that same 30K? And yeah. that was really the springboard. So this lead comes in and it was, let me figure out how do I get this deal closed? And that was really the light bulb went off. And I said, well, if I can get this done, it's four hours away, four hour drive. Can I do one that's a four hour flight away? I can't go to solve problems at either one. Um, and then that was the switch into thinking. That's, that's, when, that's when the virtual part started. So completely active. Got it. Now, how many markets are you in virtually? So we've flipped houses, like physically bought them and flipped them uh, in 13 different cities. And we we wholesale in about, I think, 20, 21 cities right now. Wow. So most of them are concentrated in like four states. So Alabama, North Carolina, South Carolina, um, obviously here, Um, uh, Georgia. And then we dabbled in like Mississippi, but we've got a couple more that we're that we're uh, working opening, and then probably once we get this, the new guys on, we have the bandwidth to handle them. But that's what we look like now. And real quick, I mean, while we kind of stay on that structure, a lot of people are trying to figure out how to structure their businesses right now, right? And virtual, of course, you know, we we push virtual. We got a virtual investing course up right now for free at our uh, on our website. You know, kind of break down. The process of how you guys, right? The marketing process, how you're sourcing the title leads up, and then how you're selling them. How's that process look for look like in your company? So you mean like from the very beginning, like how do we even find them? Like so what, kind of, yeah, what kind of marketing you're doing? But then you know, when you get a lead that comes in, what's the next steps? Okay. To lock so I'll up. tell you real quick, just the marketing. It's nothing special about us is doing it. I mean, data is real important to us. So mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, and you know, that's really at the hub of everything. Like everything you do, that works off of that. So. Um, we don't use any CRM that for, for marketing all that stuff. You know, we everything is external that's fed in there. So we're doing some RVM still. We're doing some texting. We're doing cold calling. We're doing pay-per-click Google ads. We're doing Facebook ads. We're doing SEO. And then we're also doing some targeted mail for the guys that none of that other stuff works on. Definitely, so definitely. that's kind of the, you know, I've never been a mail guy. You know, we've, we've sent mail, I think, a total of, you know, campaigns, you know, that weren't targeted maybe three times. We just don't do mail. Um once a lead comes in, it depends on how it comes in. So if it's a web lead, it comes in. My lead manager gets on it. Jazz is directive. You deal with those within five minutes, unless you're on a call. Like, I, you got five minutes expiration on that. Uh-huh. And the way it's built is, you know, she's bonused on any lead that comes in that she manages and gets closed. She does all the pre-qualifying. She gauges motivation. She's even trained well enough. She used to, she, she used to run comps. So she knows how to look at a deal, decide whether or not it's a deal. She doesn't have... 
executive can give her her input and she lets you know how they run run it free and clear, blah, 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 you know what you're doing with it. Those leads then get assigned to an acquisition manager. She just round robins them, figures out who's getting what. From there, um, obviously the negotiation, everything else happens on the phone. We get a contract, we get an agreement. We always put out the disclaimer that, you know, if this doesn't fit for us perfectly, once we've seen it, you know, you can back out of the contract. If we need to renegotiate. We don't lock anybody in. Uh, and then we also let them know, hey, look, if it doesn't work for us, we might we might move this through our network. So we tell them up front what's going to happen there. Um, and the way we put it, you know, it, it's it's just really, you know, and it's just it's just how you phrase that, right, to make people okay with it. You know, you're still going to get your number. But every now and then, you know, it just does not work for us. We discover something. And I always give them the out. Hey, you're not a professional. So there's some things that you might miss because you don't do this every day. And I know it's not intentional, but if we find some things and you have to talk about it again, it doesn't work for you. At this point, we can just walk away as friends. Um, but, you know, it, but that seldom ever kills a deal for us. We just, mm-hmm. if we find something we don't, you know, like, we'll talk about it. And we just, it's real, real casual with people. It's a partnership. Once we have that done, then the next thing we do is we have them send us pictures. We get the contract, we have them send them pictures, right? The pictures that they send us really aren't necessarily, they're not what we're going to use for marketing, right? Mm-hmm. We have them send us pictures as a gauge of motivation, right? So we get clues about what, what, what they're going to do for us or what they're not going to do for us, how cooperative they are. Do we have some room to move based on are you willing to drive 30 minutes down the road if you're local and take pictures or not, right? We kind of know what we're dealing with from that. Mm-hmm. From there, once we get those picks and we don't see anything glaring, at that point, we'll then either hire if we don't have anybody locally and we'll get one of these services like we go look or something like that to go out mm-hmm. and take a look at it. If we've got people, obviously, boots on the ground, they'll go do it, take the pictures. And then depending on what the access process is like, and at that point, acquisitions is done. It then gets handed off and our uh, transaction coordinator slash executive assistant then proceeds to set up a professional inspection if we need to. Um, or it goes into my partner, just starts working the dispo, starts creating flyers in the dish shops, starts going through our line, and then it, it just handed off to dispo. So all our acquisition handle is that very narrow, look, can I lock something up and then pass it off? If something gets bumpy, can I smooth it over? And that's all acquisition does. Once it moves on this one, yeah. Then they're on to the next lead, right? They, they lock it yeah, up, on, on to the next lead. lead. On no. to the next one. So what I'm trying to not do is have them spend a lot of time, even in follow-ups. So mm-hmm. two of the new people we recently hired, it's almost like acquisition guys have their own squires, like if they're knights. And these guys are working on helping them stay on top of leads so that only they're, they're only doing the heavy lifting, kind of close deals. Gotcha. gotcha. Have you had sellers in conversations question why you're not coming out to see the property? Only a couple of times. Um, mm-hmm. Not very often. Um, sometimes I just tell them, Hey, look, I'm in Phoenix. I just tell them. All right. <laughs> uh, or it, you know, it, it, I say you can do everything over the internet right now, right? Like you go to vacation in places you've never seen before based off the internet. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that's really helped us is we've got a lot of credibility markers online. So you can go and you can start researching. So we've got a, a bunch of good reviews, mm-hmm. things like that. So I think what people will do is they'll go out and they'll, I think the trust is already established. There's some credibility. Before, haven't gotten that question in a long time. We've had a couple of times where somebody, older person, only wanted to sign if she can go to a building, right? So how we handled that is we found just a local attorney's office. Said, hey, can this lady come in and sign your paperwork if we give you the closing? They Um, said, sure, if we can close it, then send her. And then that was that. She just wanted to be able to go into a place and see that we're real. But that's very rare that somebody asks that question. 
Um, I'll tell them we're all over the place too. And sometimes we're just busy because we are in a lot of different cities. And I'll just explain to them, we have to hire somebody to go out there sometimes. We don't have somebody specifically there who can get there right now. We've got to spend money and it's not, it's not me. I got to get somebody to go there. So it's just being honest with people and kind of letting them know, hey, look, I, I might not be able to get there. Um, and then I think sometimes too right now, people don't want to see you. Like certain people won't put a mask on and they, hey, I'm glad. They, they're hoping I don't bring it up, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get a lot more now. Just like, hey, send me your offer. Email, I, mean, I haven't even seen the house yet. Just send me your offer. You know, you get a lot yeah. of that from sellers nowadays. Yeah, yeah. They just, they, they don't want to be bothered. And you know what I think too, kind of with the proliferation of some of the tools out there, you know, before a couple of years ago, you didn't have as much, people didn't have the capability to go out and be in all these different markets like they do now. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to kind of cobble it together and kind of find a way to do it. Um, and now here's a tool. Just go and look in any city you want to. So mm-hmm. I think that some of these, some of the sellers, they've been exposed enough to it now. It's getting normalized with some of the big eye buyers that it's a little bit less. Because I, I get that far less now uh, than I did probably about a year and a half, two years ago. You know, yeah, I think the eye buyers, the eye buyers are helping us out, right? They're they're normalizing what we do, right? To the point where now it's yeah. like, okay, that's 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 a process right now, right? So now it's not yeah. so much for my realtor. It's like, well, Zillow, Open Door, these guys are already doing this, so we're just normal guys doing what they see normalized now. So yeah. that's that's a big boost for us. Yeah, and you know, it took me a while to kind of to accept that, right? At first, because you know, Phoenix is like eye buyer mega capital, capital. Right? <laughs> like, like literally two, like not even two miles from me is uh. Was it open door? Not open door. What's it? Offer pad. One of yeah. those. The, oh, they start. The headquarters is two miles from me, right? The very first house Zillow ever bought nationally in their the bill Zillow buys was a mile from me, right? Mm-hmm. Like the first one in the nation. Like, so they're everywhere here. Um, and I, I kind of owe being virtual to those guys in a way because they were driving it. You know, the only marketing we knew how to do early on when we started was pay per click. Mm-hmm. And they were driving the prices through the roof and we just mm-hmm. couldn't compete with them. So it was part of that moving was let me go where these guys aren't doing deals yet. Um, yeah. Because they're, they'll, they'll spin you into the ground unless you get really, really good at going at, at niches. Um, paper click is real expensive. If you're, if you're trying to compete with, you know, somebody who's backed by San Francisco money. Yeah, yeah. I thought, yeah, I was talking to Steve Trang a time when I was out there in Phoenix. He was saying the same thing, how he used to do a lot of paperclip and the yeah. price now is so high, it's just that they cut it off completely. Yeah, you know? dude, you can you can spend, I mean, $110 on a click, $120 on a not a lead, like for somebody to click. go click. Yeah, just yeah. a click. <laughs> you know, you start doing <laughs> you, know, <the> you, <laughs> you know, you start doing the math. I know some guy was just spending upwards of seven, eight thousand dollars a month in paperclip. And you'll hear guys say I would never spend that much, but it it really is market. I, I think one of the benefits I have in being in so many markets is I can get an idea of what's happening kind of mm-hmm. macro perspective. Um, Cause I can look at all these, you know, uh, unconnected cities mm-hmm. and see, okay, it's kind of like the, the bird and the canary. I always use that analogy where I can say, okay, something's a myth, something's coming. Um, Cause you can take a look like that. You, you know, you can take a look at multiple markets at once and kind of figure out a trend without having to look backwards and see what's happened over, over months you can go, okay, this is happening in 15 different cities. There's something I probably need to know. Definitely. Yeah, that's actually interesting. What, what trends or what kind of data are you seeing with that experience in, let's say, a bigger market versus a smaller market? Or what are some of the things that you've been able to take away from being able to be in so many different markets? Well, I'll tell you one thing, and this is probably something for, for your buyers to know, is that it's – so if, if you've got a market – you're close to a million people. You're 
let's say 750,000 and above, you're going to have an odd buyer come in there, right? Uh-huh. You're going to. The, even some of the secondary markets now, you're starting to see that. And tertiary markets, you're starting to see that. I'll say the closer you are to that primary market, the, cl- the, 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 the sooner you'll see somebody come in there and you'll not only eye buyers, but guys hear cities on podcasts and things like this and guys are a little bit less sophisticated. They hear you throughout a city and suddenly everybody floods it. I blew up a yeah. couple of my, you know, right? Happens, happens to me every day, man. Kevin just sent me a picture today. I get messages, hey, I got a group in this part. I'm like, what? Nobody even knows where that city's at. I'm like the only person yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because on the one hand, if you want to be able to help people, they want to bring deals, you can work with them, you got to see the city. But then what you'll start to see, you know, one of ours, it was, a, I mean, we used to eat good. And I saw my paper click in the city go from probably about $29, $33 on a high-end click to hitting the low 90s nice. over in the span of about 30 days. Mm-hmm. In the yeah. span of about 30 days. And so even before I knew what happened there, later I found out what happened in the city. But mm-hmm. even before I knew, I said, okay, there's got to be a shift here because n- nobody else knows there's these new players coming into the market if they're not running that because that gives you kind of a real-time, uh, some real-time insight. Something's happening here. But if you're sending mm-hmm. mail and you got to wait, you know, weeks, months, and then you got to do that over the course. Oh, okay. I'm my, okay. My response rates are this after four campaigns, you know, you're way, you're way behind. Yeah, so that, you, you know what I mean? That's, so, definitely, that's definitely a fact. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Now a deal comes in. A lot of people love to talk about how to acquire deals. I want to spend a little time on now you start locking these up in these different markets especially when you first break into a market, how are you now finding the buyers to unload yeah. these contracts for? So the first thing that we do, it's very rare that we just go into market without having buyers in mind. Right. So we, so we, so we do some prep work. Like my team calls me hands of fire. Cause they always say I break things. So it's like manos de lumbre. That's what my, my acquisition got manager called me. He's like, what did you break? You know, cause something <laughs> will be messed up. Cause I got in there and I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you we're opening uh, this city. I used to do that a lot. <laughs> um, so, so they, they, they're, they're mostly got me out of the habit, but so what we'll do, the very first thing is we're looking at, it just is their activity period. Right. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at, uh, for, I, I want to have, you know, people will call it reverse wholesale model, but I want to know, can I sell this thing? The very first thing I want to know is people are, are they buying there already? Some mistakes yeah. that younger people make younger to the business, I should say, is you lock stuff up in an area that nobody wants it. You got this mm-hmm. great deal. It's a great deal because nobody wants it. Right. Mm-hmm. So you got a great number. It's not a great deal, but you got a great number. So the first yes. thing we're going to say, we lock something up. We've already looked at, is there a good amount of activity in this city or this, or this town, wherever it might be. From there, the very first blast, all that kind of stuff. The very first thing we do is we're just looking at proximity. Who bought close to that? We already know what they buy. Right. It's the same as if you were back in the day driving a neighborhood looking for dumpsters and go and mm-hmm. talk to the guy at the house. So there's a dumpster. OK, this guy's a buyer in this neighborhood. He's got a dumpster. He's flipping the house. It's doing the same thing now. It's just looking at buyers. You can pull that with, I don't know if you guys mentioned tools and all that kind of stuff, what you do on the show, but I, yeah. you know, but I mean, you know, so a lot of people like PropStream now, it's got some limitations, but I, I love it as a tool. It, it saved us. We were using three or four different tools to do some of the stuff on there. We use NAR, RPR, um, you know, because if you're, if you're an agent, you will still yeah. do that. So we'll use, we'll use RPR. We still use, you know, the list source act that everybody knows now to work backwards on that. Um, but the very first thing we're doing is proximity search. Who bought within, you know, a half mile, a quarter mile from there? We don't send them a text. We don't send them an email. We skip them. We pick up the phone and we call them. 
we sold a deal like this about three weeks ago. It didn't go to anybody but this one guy. It was a condo. Turns out the guy had bought seven other condos in this development. Who's our buyer? It's pretty obvious, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we call that a low-end deal. We bought it for, I think we got it under contract for 20000 And we sold it to this guy for thirty-five, thirty-six. Mm-hmm. And the, the disposal side was one phone call. Hey, you bought mm-hmm. a number of these. Right, do you want another one? That was it. If we can't find a buyer right there, they're not buying that. Then obviously we can just expand it out a little bit at that point. Every, but everybody who's close up to maybe like the first 1,500 people, those people get a phone call. Uh-huh. Um, from there, then it moves on to, you know, other guys. But I'll tell you, the guys that we have in, in the queue already for a new area that we've gone to, we've already had conversations. So we actually run some pay-per-click in some markets to attract buyers. Like we actually are running campaigns for buyers, right? Uh-huh. We've got one of our VAs who's more than the VA to us. She's team, but... She just scrapes Facebook looking for buyers, um, adds them, adds them constantly. And she's incentivized. I just sent her a surprise this morning. She didn't know she's going to get, but her buyer that she adds, what she'll do is reach out to them, send them a message. Her name is Love, in case anybody gets an email from Love or Facebook. <laughs> she's a real person. Love. <laughs> like Facebook will block her. They're like, you're sending messages to all these people you don't know, so they'll block her. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like, it's okay. It's not you. But so what she'll do is somebody's buying where we're buying and she'll send them a message. Hey, this is what we do. Um, are you interested in additional deals? Where's my charger? Hold on. Let me plug my charger in here. Lose. You guys, it just gave me the warning. That would be. So what she'll do is she, she reaches out to them, says, hey, look, this is what we're doing. Are you interested in having a conversation? All of our buyers, buyers, like our real buyers, We've had a conversation with them. We interview all of them. So it's a 15-minute to 30-minute conversation. We're getting rid of tire kickers. It's a high-level conversation. I think our conversation is different because we started out as flippers, right? So the wholesaler conversation that we have with buyers is a different one. It's it's getting into meat and, meat and potatoes of what does your business look like? Are we a good fit for each other? If we find something for you that fits what you said you're looking for, you know, the expectation is to buy. If we, there's an outlaw of cash to go buy this deal for you. Uh-huh. And that's our whole process. So it's finding guys ahead of time, interviewing those, the proximity search. And then last, our last option, if we can't move something, is to send it out broadly to people. But we very seldom do that. It's yeah. a lot of work on the front end, though. But it, it yeah. makes selling deals really, really quickly. And one thing I was going to ask, too, a lot, we get a lot of questions on this. Is like, how do you identify, I want to go to this market, right? Like, like what is your the, the reason you go to different markets? <clears throat> or add a so, new market? The first one is just, Immigration patterns. Are people moving there? Or are they leaving? That's the very first. Mm-hmm. Is it a big enough market where, you know, I can pull out, I'd identify how many deals I would want to do in that market, right? Um, I'm looking at education. I'm looking at our jobs going there. Just that basis. Of, I'm looking at crime. I'm looking at, is it somewhat of a, of a diverse market? Because you tend to have higher, higher paying jobs in markets that have uh, a more diverse uh, workforce. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at where, you know, these are, these are, a lot of times these are going to be tech hubs. These are going to be places where they're building a BMW plant. You know, you're going to have places like that. So all, what I'm looking at is just demographics. I'm looking at, um, you know, our people moving there and our jobs moving there. And then from there, that's how I figure out. And you can use a bunch of different sources to do that. So obviously you use city data or something like that too. But part of it is the sci- the art of it, not so much science. Is do I like the city? Like, would I want to go there? Yeah, some of them. Some exactly. of them is, you know, like <laughs> I, want to open my, I want to open Hawaii, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's part of it. Like, do you like the place? Um, 
And then those other factors right there kind of help me figure it out. And then from there, I'm looking at, is there actual activity? What, what does it look like? Um, even if there's not a lot of investor data there yet or a lot of investor activity, how quickly are houses selling there? You know, is there some shortage? Are they building? What's it? So I'm, those are the factors that I look at when I decide. But the more from the broader perspective is, do I like this city? Could I get to it? How easy would it be to get there if I had, ever had to get there? I get to get on three small puddle hopper, you know, puddle hopper planes to get there. Well, that's probably a no. Um, do I know some people there? How easy is it for me to get in there? You know, no, that's, and I it really quickly. Yeah. Know? That's key. I mean, what you said at the last point, that's the whole point, right? Like most of the time it's like, hey, do I like the city? Maybe I want a house in this city, right? So like maybe I want to yeah. Airbnb in Atlanta. Let's go, let's go to Atlanta, right? <laughs> this is what we do. Yeah, I can make money there and I like it. Like I don't hate it. Like I'm not, you know, going to some, you know, two horse town, you know, and it's like, hey, houses are <laughs> five bucks. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, I want to go there. You know, five so, buck house, yeah. nice though. They rent well. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right, <laughs> Brian. Yeah. Brian, this is a conversation me and Jay have all the time, and it's Uh-oh. it's a tug of war. And I'm curious to know how you feel about it. You're growing in a bunch of markets. Is there a thirst for the growth? And I don't. There is no ceiling for you. You want as many places, or because we talked about this a little in the beginning. Life by design kicks in and you kind of want to find that happy place where you're not a slave to the growth and hustle. Yeah. You know, it's so I'll tell you, man, it's I can see why you guys would struggle with that, too. Right. Because it's like what's enough. Right. Mm-hmm. For the first for the first part of this, you guys know when you're growing out, spending out, everything you're making, you're putting bags and sitting within reason. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you realize, you know, every time you grow a little bit, you know, I, I read something the other day about the factors of three and 10, about every time you triple your business, you go, you know, and, you know, you're going to have these, you know, your processes get blown up. Everything breaks, mm-hmm. right? Like the decision-making process from one person to three person now becomes, well, who delegates to who? Is there a hierarchy? What happens when something falls, not neatly in a bucket, but in between two different cracks? Who's got to be called in to make a, min, a, a mission critical decision, right? And then you triple that and you go to nine and then you go more and you go, okay, I can see how this is going to get hairy. I think for me, the goal was never to have the biggest business, right? The goal was, um, you know, it was to be able to have something that supports, you know, I was, I was really, really heavily influenced by uh, Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek. Uh, I read that probably uh, maybe a decade ago. I don't know how old the book is. Um yeah. But I always had jobs that I worked from home. Even when I was in sales job, my home base, I didn't have an office. Even when I worked for mega corporations, I only had one job where I had to be there daily. Um, and so I was accustomed to that. Um, I think people work more when they're at home, you know, because if they enjoy doing what they're doing. Um, they and they also do it when they're in their, like, peak of concentration. And then they take breaks when they know they need to, right? For me, the idea when we – when I named our company it was to not have something that was regional it was something that can apply across different markets and so if we ever got to a point where the brand could carry itself and you could franchise out and still continue to proliferate without having to be hands-on and everything that was the goal from the beginning is to be able to at some point i'll do the hard work of building something that people trust 
And then I can leverage that out to other people down the road because the, the idea wasn't to become a guy that's slave to the business. Now, I think I'll always be that to that because I like building stuff. Like that's fun to me. Um, you know, so, but it would be starting something else versus being like trapped by this business. And just last week, um, I, you know, so uh, I hear, Hey, look, so, so many things ran without you today. Don't be insulted. Like, I don't want to insult you. And I thought, well, damn it. I'm not insulted. What do you think all the 15 hour days were for us to get to where I don't have to do 15 hour days? Like yeah. <laughs> I'm not insulted by, by it at all, but we're talking years of those long days. And so I think for me, the thing is to be able to, is to be able to balance and check ego. I think ego was the only thing that would make me want to have the biggest thing out there. Cause you know, they, 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 you know, I'm around a lot of it, you know, mm-hmm. just, just in my, my, my local markets, I'm around a lot of it. And, it, and you think to yourself, I mean, I can do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's where you got to be careful and you got to think is what I'm doing because it's what I want to do or is it ego and there's something I'm trying to prove to myself by doing what these other guys have done or do I want to be able to say all my expenses are taken care of whether I get out of bed or not. I can go and I can work in Bali for mm-hmm. three months because one day you know, the hourglass runs out. Right. Mm-hmm. And do I want to spend it building this thing that when you leave behind it doesn't matter to you at all or do mm-hmm. I want to be mindful of you know, one day I'm not going to be able to jump off of this cliff into the water. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be able to do that stuff. Um, So I better enjoy doing it now. And I think that's the override for me um, that I have the tendency to want to excel and be, I'm a competitive guy, right? Mm -hmm. Like I just, like I I tracked down everybody who used to beat me in basketball when I was a freshman high school. (laughs) I lost like 30 pounds, right? And I went and tracked people down, like, like the old movies, like call it everybody. Let's go play. And I, <laughs> all of them, man. My old coach, uh, true story, man. It was a maniacal. It made no sense, but it made me feel good. Like Michael Jordan at the Hall of Fame speech. <laughs> I, I tracked him down, man. I was like, hey, look, best friend from eighth grade. Um, meet me up, you know? And it, it, it was everybody. My older brother, I, I tracked down everybody, man. So It's, uh, it's time. It's time. It's about it's that time. time. So, so, yeah. So, I mean, so, so I've got that to wrestle with. But I think for me, man, it's just realizing you know, you get to a point where um, it, you just know time runs out, man. Uh-huh. Time runs out. And, you know, how much is enough is really the, the, the question for you, you know, for me. Yeah. And it it, it kind of keeps me from going completely crazy and maniacal um, most yeah. days. Like, yeah. Right. We, we got a question from Jarvis while he's sitting here listening to us. He's a brand new investor. He's asking for advice to get that first deal under his belt. So, Brian, if you could go back all the way in the beginning with the knowledge you got right now. Yeah. What would the you tell Jarvis? The very first thing that I would do, man, and this guys say this, but I want to expand a little bit further. The very first thing that I would do is find somebody who's already doing it and find out how you can add value to them. Uh, Most of the stuff you can figure out on your own. You can, if you're smart, you can, you can listen. Like I said, it was, there's so many podcasts now that weren't out there that just give you stuff for free that you would have had to pay thousand dollars for preliminary information, you know, uh, just three, four years ago. uh, But what's, what hurts new guys and what keeps you from getting a deal right away is you don't understand time compression a lot of times. Right. When somebody says, why would you pay somebody five, 10, whatever, how many thousand dollars for mentorship? And I'm not advocating that you go out and get a mentor in that way. But the reason you do it, the reason I've done it is I I say I can spend two years figuring this out 
or I can get where I want to get in six months. And then how much money would I be losing on that last 18 months of that two years? Figuring it out myself where I can be in profit mode, right? Wow. So I'm always thinking in terms of time. So let me frame that first. Let me frame why I'm going to give the answer that I give with that thinking, okay? The very first thing I tell people when you're new is you only got two things to offer people. And most people that you meet, you've got time or money. And if you're new, you probably don't have any money, right? Um, and if you're somebody who's got money, you're not new anymore, you have very little time. There's a lot of, with the mix up today, I moved three things because I got mixed up at the time today. And I was like, ah, okay. And you know, it got, it got moved around, right? So guys who are already doing deals probably aren't going to have a whole lot of time. I've got a guy right now that's been an inbox. His name is Isaac. And the guy's followed up with me four times already this week. He's ready to get going. I'm going to work with Isaac because Isaac wants to go and do work that one, I don't have time to do. And two, where I'm in my business right now, I just honestly, I wouldn't do it because it would, the trade-off for me, and I want you guys to understand this, the trade-off for me cost me more to go do those things than to be doing something else is higher value. Mm -hmm. And the way I'll frame it for you so you understand that concept too is think about if you, say you make $100 an hour um, and somebody wants to come and mow your lawn and they'll charge you 50 bucks. It takes you two hours to mow your lawn. Is it worth $200 to get your lawn mowed? You know, yeah. it's yeah. that's what a guy who's already established his thinking when he can go and do some of the things that you can do, but his business requires him to do other things that cost him. What I would offer you as a newer person is to quite literally just find somebody, find a, find a buyer and call them. Hey, look, mm -hmm. I'm willing to work for free. My acquisition manager is going to make, he's, he's going to make just over 18 K this month. My, my top guy. When he came on board, I asked him, Hey, do you want to make some money? He said, yes. I made him hang bandit signs like I did out. He was out two, three in the morning, hanging signs for free for weeks before I hired him. Um, I wanted to see if he had it. Cause what I didn't want to do is have a false start pour a bunch of time in a guy and he quits like 95% of people is going to do. If I'm just putting the numbers out there, we, you, you guys run coaching, right? And you've got courses, you know, people start and they don't stop. So the first thing you do is show that you're going to be consistent. The second thing, don't go asking somebody for something. Offer value first and offer your time and then be willing to work. Guys would love to have you because you get to a point where there's things that you want to get done that you just don't have time to get done. Offer your time. That's the very first thing. Let somebody guide you. Now, if you don't want to go that route, the very next thing that I would say is set yourself some time aside. If you, if you don't want to go that route and have somebody shorten it for you, you just want to use tools. There's so many easy tools right now to just start texting people, cold calling them. That's the easy thing. What I wouldn't do is send mail. I don't, <laughs> I would, I would stay far away from mail. Um, the last person I told not to do mail, they, they, they did exactly that after I told them not to, they're out of the business in three months. Um, yeah, but I wouldn't do that. <clears throat> but what's that? I said mail is expensive. So uh, when I tell people yeah. it's the first turn off, hey, text, cold call, drive for dollars, right? And I do a lot yeah. of mail. Mail is a heavy part of my business, but mail is expensive. So if you're going to be doing it for three or four, you know, a couple of months without any money coming in, you can spend all your marketing spend right there just in that mail. <clears throat> yeah. And then you're, and then you're, and, and I'm glad you brought that point. You spend all your money too, because you sound way different on the phone when you're desperate than when you've got some reserves, right? Mm -hmm. Any salesperson knows that when you need a sale, everybody can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Definitely. You, start, you know, you start making up reasons. Well, they said when pigs fly, and you know, scientists are working on some pretty cool things. You know, like you start, <laughs> telling, you know, you start telling yourself all kind of things that this can, this can work. Um, versus having some reserves. That's another thing I say when you're new. Don't quit your job, man. People tell you just go all in and burn the ships. Yeah, I, don't do that. I don't subscribe to that. 
you you know, when you you think about, have you guys ever had somebody like who worked for like a, who was like in an MLM, like a friend or family call you, and they're like, oh, yeah. hey, look, yeah, you know, <laughs> like when you're the only person they're they're talking to, you know it, right? Like they're bugging the hell out of you, right? You can smell like, why do you need my 1999 so bad, right? What's going on? You know? <laughs> You know, versus, you know, if they go out and that person has 100 prospects to talk to, well, you said no. In their head, they, I got 99 more people to talk to. It's not a big deal, mm-hmm. right? It's not a big deal. But when you don't cast a wide enough and you, you paint yourself in, it shows in the frustration and then knowing that you've got this looming deadline. Mm-hmm. If you need that looming deadline, I think, to be moved to action, you're probably not going to do this very long anyway. You're not internally motivated by wanting to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, if you need the fact that I'm potentially homeless, and then I've mm-hmm. seen people lose it and go homeless because they burned the boats when they had a, a job that gave them flexibility. What they didn't do is use their time effectively, right? They had a whole weekend and they're chilling all weekend. You got 48 mm-hmm. hours and they watch four hours of TV, TV every night. And you say, Well, I don't have the time. Yeah, you do. You absolutely yeah. have 108 hours. So you see it all the time. Yeah, all the yeah, time. You, yeah. So, yeah, that's my first thing. Partner with somebody, work for them and then negotiate something out with them. You know, even if your first one, I'll tell you, even if somebody takes half. Right. My first deal without somebody guiding me cost me 50K. I would rather give somebody half of a profit. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> you, know, I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm an unintelligent person, but you don't know what you don't know. Right. You just don't know. And you can't. Intelligence isn't the same as experience. Right. Mm. The very first thing is off your time, draw for dollars. I would love, I actually, it's soothing to me to do that. I just don't have the time, mm-hmm. right? If you can do that for somebody, do it. Bring them a deal and then have them walk you through it. What are we doing? Why are we doing that? Get education. I tell guys, if you do that for me, I'll mentor you. Or I can yeah. pay you an hourly wage. The majority mm-hmm. of people say pay me the hourly wage because they don't get the value of being mentored. Yeah. So I'll tell you, the first thing you do is offer your time to somebody who doesn't have a lot of time. They'll snatch you up. They will Definitely. absolutely snatch you up. I mean, what do you guys think about that? Like, oh no, know? that's 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 great advice. That you know, the, the person who comes and says, "Hey, look, I want to do what you need me to do." Right? I just want to learn from you, and they show you that they really want that they really do it. That's the person that you kind of grab onto. Okay, like this this guy, this girl, you know, I can work with. You know, but the ones who are just asking you, "Hey, what's this? What's that? What's that? What's that? Help me with this. Help me with that." I mean, yeah. we're busy. <laughs> How do you get started in wholesale? Did I have to write you a book? Like, what do you mean? How do you, how do you, like, 10,000 hours and just give it all to you. All right, sure. I'll give you the, the magic answer right now. Like, you, mm-hmm. you don't want to be that guy, but do you get somebody those messages? You want to just tell people, hey, look, this is the thing. And the other thing, too, I would say when you're new, you know, you get that first deal, there are plenty of guys looking for you, right? Look and see who's actually buying stuff mm-hmm. and then reach out to them. Don't just go to the guy that I'm talking to now. The guy offered to give him a mentorship and the guy gave him archaic advice that may have worked 10 years ago. And he's been mm-hmm. trying to get his first deal for a year. So mm-hmm. make sure you're actually doing something now. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the other thing is that is do your homework before you come, because when you show that you don't have intelligent questions to ask, and I know you haven't done any work. I know you're starting from less than ground zero. And not only am I going to have to teach you what we're doing, I've got to educate you too, because you weren't willing to educate yourself. So if you haven't taken the time to go out and the information is free. It's if, everywhere. If you, you know, yeah. if you ask me a question that shows you've done no work at all, the first thing that I hear is no initiative, and this is going to take a lot of time for something that may not ever pay off for me. And then I just don't engage. I just I like I I, I point them to resources and I say, hey, go here and then come back to me. And then 99% of them don't go to look at the resource and come back. 
So then yeah. I was just saving myself some time too because I knew you weren't going to do the work anyway. Yeah, but, it's one hundred percent. Yeah, there's a big difference. There's a big difference if somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, listen, I have these lists of forty five houses that look abandoned and they look like they might be a deal." I just don't have the money to skip trace them, but I learned that you can skip trace them and get the information. Is this valuable to you? And I'm willing to work this list if you're willing to partner with me on this and show me how to do this. That is a completely different pitch than, hey, can you teach me how to make some money? (laughs) (laughs) you know when the guy sends a message like last night i just picture him going like this while he's typing you know i can't i can't i can't with you that's what isaac did shout out to isaac for doing that that's exactly what he did hey i've got these houses i don't know what to do with them um and the funny thing is about it you know it's you know sometimes guys we think hey we point him to a tool um and they don't even know how to use the tool. So since I'm not saying his last time, I'm going to tell you, an agent gave him these leads. One of the leads, if you looked in one of the tools that he had, he showed it to me. One of them's owned by Citibank, not a lead. Uh-huh. The other one bought by an investor two months ago, not a lead. But uh-huh. not having somebody to say, hey, look, these are the things you look at with the tools that you have to know. Don't even spend your time here. How much time did I save him? He was getting ready to go on this long campaign to try to buy houses that he has no chance of buying. Right. Yeah. Wasting um, money, burning money on leads that he shouldn't be marketing to. Yeah. Walking yeah. into Citibank, asking for the manager. Hey, I need to buy two, two, three West. Who do I speak to about this? Yeah, talk to you. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, but he was he's like, hey, now I'll do the work. And I said, OK, this could benefit me, too. So because I'm thinking in terms of what is an hour that I give to you costs me. Right. A guy says, hey, let's go get lunch. And I think about how much does it cost me to have lunch with you? Because what other thing am I not doing in my business that needs me that, that, you know, I value at X that I can't do while I'm having lunch with you for, you know, 10 bucks, you know, and I'd love to do it, but I have to think in turn, I have, I have to think that way because when it was just me, it was okay. If, well, now there's 10 other people who their paychecks are coming from here. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, not to mention ancillaries and guys that are kind of like Capadonna from the Wu-Tang Clan, like they're not in our company. (laughs) <laughs> they're kind of like ancillary members, you know. Capadonna red man. You got red man and red and math were like the honorary, you know. So yeah, we got yeah. a couple of those guys too that are looking at it. So I want to make sure they get good beats too. So yeah. you know, uh, you know, you, you can't always go and do that with guys the way you want to, man. So that that's how you I think that's the easiest way to get your first deal is go out and show a guy who can convert it. I got a deal. Because not yeah. everybody's on the up and up. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's gold right there. Yeah. 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 Right. I, I've, you know, I, I see stuff that, like in real estate, that if it was not in real estate and this has happened in just life outside of it, I'm, I'm blown away by the boldness of what some people do that some of the oh. stuff they do. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like I'm trying to keep it clean about, like, you know, but, you know, some of the stuff I, you see guys do, it's, it's, I just have never been that motivated by money to do a lot of things that I see. You know, definitely. Yeah, you know, Brian, you've dropped fire. We've stealing, we've stolen an hour of your time already, my friend. It is greatly appreciated. You definitely shed some light on a lot of our listeners. I mean, just how we ended it. If you guys can't take that and run with it, then you might want to start considering something else. <laughs> Brian, how can they get in contact with you if they want to, you know, reach out if they're in some of the markets you're in? How's the best point of contact? 
So the best you can reach out to me on Facebook. I've got an Instagram, um, but I hate the name. It's stupid. I don't use Instagram that much and I need to. So on Instagram, it's laptop REI guy, right? Or laptop guy REI, one of those with the underscores. I like, I like that name. <laughs> yeah, but when you look at it, it's got the underscores and it looks weird, right? So I need yeah. somebody to give me a new a new uh, Instagram name. I'm going to be using that more. Um, I've got, you know, some podcast stuff that I'm actually working on to myself. That, but, you know, until now, nobody's actually talked about it. But right now, just reach out to me on Facebook. I mean, Facebook or I check Instagram probably every other day, every couple of days. But uh, just send me on Facebook. And uh, the markets are, like I said, I mean, all over the Carolinas, both of them, Georgia, Arizona. We're doing some stuff, uh, working on Cali. Memphis, and then we're in Alabama. Got it, man. Hey, I appreciate the time. You know, I appreciate it being able to make this happen. We went back and forth a little bit. You know, I know you forget too, but uh, we yeah. made it happen, man. I wanted you to come on too because you know we're, we're, we're I'm always talking about virtual and just the kind of you know life by design and doing yeah. this business and enjoying your life, man. So like the point you you know you made about how it's not the money thing; it's about being able to enjoy our life while we're here, man. I mean, if we all can say through this pandemic that if if there ever was a time to just enjoy your life, because <laughs> time's running out. You know, yeah. now's the time to enjoy it. Absolutely. And if I could say this one last thing, too. Um, the very first wholesale that I closed was $25,000. And I was in Puerto Rico on the beach when it got locked up and everything. Ah. <laughs> and I can't, how can I go back? Right? How, how I go can back? you go back to anything after that <laughs> right there? Yeah, I was like, wait, what? Okay. Yeah. So, so it, it's, it's, it's possible. And, um, you know, the stuff that's important, if you can give that your life to the stuff that's important to you and not have to give it to the things that other people control, it just uh -huh. feels different. Monday it feels does. different. Yeah, it does. Definitely, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, my brothers, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate the listeners. Share this with people you find valuable. Reach out to Brian. Let him know the value he brought into your lives. And as always, shut up shut and up invest. I dig it. <laughs> hey, thank you once again for listening to Shut Up and Invest. If you guys are motivated at the thought of continuing your real estate journey with us, then visit shutupandinvest.com. There you can join our community and take advantage of more free resources. And don't forget, please like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast so you're first to hear our new content every week. Most importantly, get active and don't forget to shut up and invest.